Hey, Pursuit family, thank you so much for joining us for another online experience here with you as Pastor Timothy Chakos and alongside me is Pastor Angie Thurman. And we are so excited for you to join us today on this Sunday. Angie, Friday night, we had an incredible yes. moment here at, at our Snohomish campus with uh, Krista Smith. Why don't you tell the uh, online campus a little bit about that evening? It was absolutely incredible. The power and the presence of God not only flooded the room, but women were radically healed, transformed, set free, delivered, you name it. God just showed up in a powerful way. And if you you were there, you know, and if you missed it, it's okay. We recorded that. We want you to be a part of that next time. It was an absolutely incredible night. Awesome, yeah, I just heard nothing but amazing testimonies coming out and just seeing the clips online were so encouraging just to see the women of God, the women of this house press in, That's right. interceding for one another, believing for miracles. And that kind of leads us yeah. into our next topic of, you know, miracles. We are experiencing signs, wonders, and miracles on the daily and hearing awesome yeah. testimony time and time again to where we're like, you know what? Miracles aren't aren't something uh, that we, we hope to see, but it's almost because it is becoming the normal here at Pursuit, yeah. at our Snohomish campus, at our Seattle campus, and also with our online campus. And you yourself experienced a miracle within your household. Yeah. Why don't you share with our online family a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. My husband has been struggling with sciatica for a number of months, and he came to the women's event, and uh, he came in with like a pain out of 15. And he has not had pain one time on. since uh, Friday night. And so I just want to not only say thank you, Jesus, yes. but I just want to profess that the same God who healed my husband is the same God who can heal you. And Absolutely. so just be encouraged. The God of miracles, the God, the healer is in the house. Yeah. And we want you to and experience you know, he's that. not confined to these four walls. Right. So if you need a miracle, um, share with our online campus. Uh, we have people wanting to pray for you throughout to this morning and throughout right. the week. So share those. Share those comments with us. Drop us a line of where you're watching from as well. We'd love to intercede and know what God is doing in your life. And today is the first Sunday of the month. That's so right. we're having Communion Sunday today. That's right. Speaking of miracles, we want you to partake in the greatest miracle, and that's the sacrifice yes. of Jesus. And so if you're with us this morning and you're watching, go ahead, take some time, go get some bread, a cracker, some juice, water, whatever you have. And we're going to celebrate together as a family the power and the in the presence of God but the power of communion together it's going to be an incredible time as we worship in that way that's great that's great awesome so if you could take a moment share this feed uh, text it to some of your friends share it on your stories your Facebook stories your Instagram whatever you can do to get the word out we'd love for you to have to come and be a part so if you could do that that'd be great we love you guys appreciate you guys and and uh, we'll we will We'll see you next week. That's right. We're a hungry people. Let's go.
testify, friend, that the blood is still the blood. That the blood that Christ shed on Calvary's hill 2,000 years ago has not lost one ounce of its power or its authority even unto this day. It is still efficacious. It still covers my sin. It still removes my shame, my guilt, and my condemnation. I was in the grave, but the blood is still the blood. I was on death's door, but the blood is still the blood. I was sick and without hope, but the blood is still the blood. I was depressed and suicidal, but the blood is still the blood. The blood broke the power of death, hell, and the grave. The blood testified that the principalities and powers of darkness have lost their grip. The enemy bruised his heel, but Christ has crushed his head. And we're here to declare in the sanctuary of God, the blood is still the blood. Oh, the culture is fine with philosophical Jesus, good teacher Jesus, worker of interesting miracles Jesus. But when you begin to testify about a resurrected Jesus, all of hell gets nervous. Because when you do, you remind the enemy of his future. That there will come a day at a great shout and the blast of a trumpet. The clouds roll back like a scroll. And in the same manner he ascended, he will descend. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are alive will be caught up with him in the air and we will be with him forever. And Satan will be bound and cast into the lake of fire. He is the accuser of the brethren, but the blood shouts a better word. He tries to remind me of my past, but the blood shouts a better word. It's better than the blood of Abel. It's better than the blood of goats and rams and lambs. It's the blood of the one and only Son who got up out of the grave. And if the tomb can't hold him, it will not hold me. For even though I may die, I will live again. Because the blood is still the blood. The new covenant is in his blood. My healing is in his blood. My righteousness is in his blood. My justification is in his blood. My sanctification is in his blood. My regeneration is in his blood. What I couldn't do, Jesus did on my behalf. And I'm here to testify this morning. The blood is still the blood. And you got a reason to shout. You got a reason to sing. The enemy thought he had you. The grave thought it had you. But in the fullness of time, there was a man born under the law who redeemed those who were under the law. And his blood prophesies a better word. Have you been washed in the blood? The soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? Have your garments been made new? Have they been made as white as snow? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? The handwriting of requirements wiped away. My sin and my debt canceled by the cross. 
Oh, this is the first Sunday of the month where we celebrate communion, where we take these emblems as they represent his broken body and his spilt blood, as we declare the Lord's death until he returns. As we look back to the cross, we look present to this moment. We look forward to his glorious return. And we declare, when all the world is against me, greater is he who is in me because the blood is still the blood. You're here today and you belong to God and he belongs to you. On the screens to my left and to my right, there's gonna be some instructions for flow of traffic. But we're gonna invite you forward at this time to receive communion together as a church family. Those who are in front, you can go ahead and begin to take the emblems that are at the table. For those of you in your seats, why don't you begin to make your way forward? Let's receive communion as a church family. And thank God that his blood still works for us today.
Hey, why don't you say hi to a friend on the way back to your seat? Thank you so much for joining us here at Pursuit today.
Awesome. Hey, welcome to church. Glad to have you uh, in the house of God with us uh, this morning. Hey, a couple things to put on your uh, radar uh, just real briefly. Tonight, tonight we're going to be joined by one of my friends, Pastor Sean Smith, at Pursuit Seattle, 6 p.m. It's going to be an incredible time in the presence of God. His wife just uh, spoke for us at a women's event Friday night here in Snohomish. Just incredible. Place was packed. God doing incredible things. Uh, but we are getting ready for Pastor Sean this evening uh, in Seattle. We've been working with Sean and his wife, Krista, the last like two years to try to coordinate schedules, figure it all out. And it just so happened that they were available to be here this uh, weekend. And so I promise you don't want to miss it. Uh, Sean really operates in the prophetic and uh, God is using him in some incredible ways. And I believe it will be a marking moment for our Seattle community tonight. You are uh, invited. And then uh, tomorrow night, starting at 6 p.m., tomorrow night, starting at 6 p.m., uh, our next installment of Pursuit Nights is up. It happens the first and third Monday of the month. Pursuit Nights is uh, an opportunity for us to come together as a community. We sit around tables, we provide food, childcare, you name it, but it's really our community group night. Uh, where we get the opportunity to slow down. We do corporate worship, corporate teaching, and then break into small groups around tables. And uh, we just uh, really um, see God do uh, some real great work in the hearts of people at those events. You are invited, and I'd love to see you tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Thank you for uh, all your prayers. I just got home from the great state of Arkansas. Never been there before. Not sure if I'll ever go again, but... Uh, it was really uh, an incredible time. God did some uh, amazing things. You know, I showed up uh, at this church to preach at their midweek service Wednesday night. And uh, they said, Pastor, we've actually had you preach here several times before. And I thought to myself, man, how can that be true? This is my first time ever even to this state. And they said, over the last number of weeks for our Wednesday night service, we've actually been live streaming Pursuit. And they said, it's incredible because even as we live stream, man, the power of God hits the room. The anointing is there. People are coming to the altar. They're shouting amen. We're just replaying the YouTube clip from the previous week. So I said, could you please tell me all of the sermons you played so I could preach a new one tonight? Uh, that would be helpful. Uh, but it's just cool to see the power of God and the word of God translate even via a digital medium to a state thousands of miles away and to see people impacted by the power of God. At the end of that service, we had made an altar call and had probably a couple hundred folks at the altar. We prayed for people all the way till past 10 p.m. at night. And there was one young man in, in particular who, who I won't forget. And he came forward for prayer, but, but he didn't really look happy about it. Looked like somebody maybe had bribed him to come forward for prayer. And one of the intercessor ladies grabbed me and said, you need to pray for this young man. And so I went over and I prayed for him and his arms was kind of crossed and he was looking at me. I said, hey, I'm Russ, could I pray for you? He said, yeah. He said, anything in specific? He was like, no, not really. I guess maybe like wisdom. I said, well, you know, I, I guess that counts. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask. I will give liberally and without reproach. And so I laid my hands on him and, and I began to pray. But as I did, the spirit of prophecy hit me. And all of a sudden it went from a prayer of wisdom to prophesying about his childhood. 
and I begin to say over him, God is your heavenly father. He sees the abandonment of your earthly father, how your natural family has fallen apart, but God has adopted you. The power of God hit him. He began to shriek, yell, cry, shake under the power of God, fell over. Afterwards, pastor came up to me, said, man, you have no idea about this kid's story. Mom has passed away. Dad was in prison, been living on the streets, hasn't been in church in a year. And when prophecy came forth from you and hit his soul, I saw God do work in his heart that we have been praying for for years. And the reason why I share that story uh, in the beginning here of my sermon is that, you know, every couple months or a couple years, it, it seems like the conversation around cessationism swells up again. We got these conferences that are being held now that are celebrating this theological error of cessationism, like the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. The Holy Spirit no longer operates in power through the lives of his believers. And I thought to myself, if we have ever needed the power of the Holy Ghost, it's now. If we have ever needed prophecy, healing, signs, wonders, miracles, it is now. I feel bad for people who buy into this theology of powerless Christianity and then wonder why the world is going to hell around us. No, the power of God's spirit is what validates and verifies the word that is preached. That's why Paul says, I didn't just come to you with fancy words, but with a demonstration of God's power. This generation needs an encounter with the unmitigated, unfiltered power of God's spirit that has the ability to communicate to them that God knows every finite moment of their life. He has held them close in their greatest moments of struggle and that their best days are not behind them, ahead of them. That is only made possible by a person who is yielded to the power of the Holy Ghost. And so we unashamedly believe that not only have the gifts not ceased, but greater works shall you and I do. The Holy Spirit is alive. It is what birthed the church on Pentecost. It is what sustains the church in the 22nd century. And we are going for it with unapologetic boldness, believing that our God still responds with power and with fire. And so that's just who we are. That's what we believe. We make no apology for it. And uh, it's just cool to see that what is happening here is a microcosm actually of what God is doing more broadly around the nation, awakening the hearts and minds of people in churches all across the nation to the reality of his present kingdom and power to transform individuals, families, cities, and regions. This morning, uh, I'm gonna share with you out of the book of Genesis, and in doing so, we're gonna start in chapter 22, which tells us a familiar story about the life of Abraham. Many of you have heard it before, but I'm trusting that today, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, that God, by his spirit, will drop new truth from an old word in your heart, and in doing so, add another developmental step in your life of being transformed into the image and the likeness of the one that we worship. I love the book of Genesis because it's a story of beginnings, and it stands in stark contrast to the lie of our age that tells an entire generation that they are here by accident, that they are simply 
the great, great, great grandchildren of primordial ooze, that they've got ancestors somewhere roaming around like baboons in the forest, and that is the purpose of their life. There is nothing after this life. You die. Maybe if you're into Eastern religion, you get reincarnated as a lower life form, but you came from nothing, and you are going to nothing. Listen, when that is the message that we send the next generation, it is no wonder why they are facing the bondage that they are facing today. When you read the book of Genesis, you are convinced, I was made in the image of God. His breath is in my lungs. His destiny is stamped on my heart. I have a beginning and I have an end, but I've got a God who is faithful in the middle every day of my life. He's got a good hope. He's got a bright future. And if I will trust him enough to put my faith in his one and only son, I will be with him for all of eternity. That is a lot better message than you came out of ooze, you came from baboons, you're here by accident, and you've got real no value. No, you've got value because the Father has stamped his image on your life, and no power in hell or evolutionary lie can ever take that from you. And in Genesis 22, it tells us the story of the patriarch of the faith, Abraham, and a season of his life by which God reveals himself to Abraham as the great provider. In Genesis 22, starting in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says this. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. That response of here I am is actually one of the great prophetic patterns that we see from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. When the angel of the Lord spoke to Jacob, he responded, here I am. When God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, he responded, here I am. When Joshua testified to the faithfulness of God, he declared, here I am. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple, he responded, here I am. When the boy Samuel heard the voice of the Lord as he studied under the priest Eli, he responded, here I am. When Christ wrote a letter to the church in Laodicea recorded by John in the book of Revelation, he proclaimed, here I am. Hear me, friend. You don't got to have it all together. You don't have to have lived a perfect life. You don't got to figure it all out or pass some sort of complicated theological test. When God calls your name, you just have to have enough faith to respond. Here I am. Nine years ago when this church was planted, and I was working in crawl spaces, cleaning out rats to try to put food on the table. I would hear his voice under those houses and I would just say to him, here I am. When we planted in that cold barn off of Highway 9, right here in Snohomish, no indoor heat, HVAC, electricity, or plumbing. I didn't know what else to say except respond to him. Here I am. When we finally scraped up 
enough money and faith to buy that little historic church on Cedar Avenue. I didn't know what else to give God except a here I am. When we rented the stadium in Everett and prayed that God would fill it for an evangelism service on Easter, I didn't have nothing to offer God except a here I am. When we bought that building in Seattle and expanded into that region for our grand opening, I had nothing left in the tank except a here I am. When we had our Kirkland pop up with Pastor Jude, believing that God would give us a property on the east side, all I had was a here I am. When I traveled to Asbury University to peer in into a revival movement starting on college campuses, believing that if God did it for them, he'd do it for the UW, he'd do it for Northwest, he'd do it for SPU, all I had at that altar was a here I am. When I was praying at the Western Wall in Jerusalem, when the doctor said we'd never be able to have children, and I just prayed that God would give us a miracle, all I had was a here I am. And friend, I'm here to tell you today, I hear that voice again. I don't know how it's all gonna work. I'm not sure where the finances is gonna come from. I don't understand how it's all gonna come together, but I am convinced I have heard his voice. My joy has been made complete, and there ain't no power in hell that can stop the advancement of his church. So our response to this God is here I am. Now watch what the scriptures say. It says, it came to pass that the Lord tested Abraham. Hear me, friend, tests don't produce faith. They reveal faith. The testing wasn't to convince God. It was to convince Abraham that what this God had planted deep in the soil of Abraham's heart, even though it only looked like a mustard seed to man, it carried the potential to declare to that mountain, be ye removed and cast into the sea. You know, that word test in Hebrew, it means to initiate adventure. And God calls Abraham by name and says, are you ready for the next adventure I have for you? And notice, Abraham does not ask, what are we doing? Where are we going? What time will we arrive? Who's bringing snacks? He simply responds, I'm in. Hear me, friend, the first test that Abraham faced was not his willingness to sacrifice Isaac. It was his readiness to say amen when God called his name. Do you know that in Genesis 22, Abraham's about 100 years old? And if he's 100 years old, then don't dare tell me that your days of adventure are behind you. If all you've got is your retired years left, good. Give them to God. If all you got is wisdom from a life well lived, good. Invest it in the next generation. Abraham was old. Isaac was young. And God would use both in collaboration together to see a nation birth through their simple obedience. Now watch verse 2. Then God said, now take your son your only son, Isaac, the one you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
It's so interesting to me. When God speaks to Abraham, he says, take your only son, Isaac, and offer him as a sacrifice. But if you know anything about the story, you would know that by the time Genesis 22 rolls around, Abraham had another son as well, and his name was Ishmael. See, Ishmael was the result of Abraham and Sarah getting nervous that God wasn't going to come through on his promise. So Sarah took her servant, gave her to Abraham and said, oh, just have a child with her instead. Hear me today. Anxiety about God's covenant will tempt you to interrupt his process in order to fast track your promise. But you got to understand you are not the source of your provision. You are not the author of your destiny. And if God is your co-pilot, it's time to switch seats because only he can be trusted with the direction of your life. And here's what I love. When God says to Abraham, take your only son, it's because when God looks at your life, he doesn't factor in what was produced by virtue of your shortcomings. See, Ishmael was man's solution to God's promise. It wasn't ever gonna work. Ishmael would never be able to carry the family name, never be able to pass down the generational blessing. God wanted Sarah's womb to be opened so her and Abraham would know God keeps his promises and he can be trusted with the treasure of my life. See, if you can produce the promise of God in your own power, it wasn't from God in the first place. He calls you to the impossible and then grants you a grace that empowers you to overcome. If you can produce it, you can take credit for it. But when God does the impossible through your life, everyone will know this is the result of a wonder-working God. That's what I love about Snohomish. That's what I love about pursuit starting here in this town. That's what I love about the origin story of this church. It shouldn't work for a thousand different reasons. What do you mean you're in Snohomish? What do you mean you're in a town of 10,000? What do you mean this ain't a mega city? What do you mean this isn't a bustling metropolis? How on earth could this work in a place like Snohomish? When people see the success of the pursuit, they don't look at the resume of its leaders. They look at the sovereign power of the God that they worship because everybody knows this ain't to the brilliance of our capacities or our abilities. This is the result of the kindness and the goodness of God who takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It would be 25 years between when God promised Abraham and Sarah a son and the delivery of that son. And during that time, God was forming within Abraham and Sarah the type of character they would need to steward their miracle. Hear me, friend. Your formation is just as important as your destination. A promise from God is an invitation into development with God because the greater the destiny, the deeper your foundation must go. 
The greatest miracle was not that God gave Abraham a son in his old age. It was that God made Abraham a son of the Most High. And 2,000 years before Christ, God justified Abraham by faith and blessed the nations through his offspring. See, the promise that God has for you isn't nearly as important as the person you are becoming along the way. See, in biblical studies, there is something called the law of first mentions, which states that in order to truly understand a word or a scriptural concept, you gotta find the first place it is talked about and study that passage. Did you know that the first time the first time the word love is ever mentioned in the Bible is Genesis 22:2. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. It reminds me of a more famous verse from John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might have life the first time love is ever mentioned in the Bible it's in the context of the sacrifice of Abraham's one and only son hear me today Love is not scriptural until it is sacrificial. See, the question that I ask young men today in premarital counseling is not, do you love her? But instead, what are you willing to sacrifice for her? Because the depth of your sacrifice speaks to the maturity of your love. The only reason Abraham and Sarah have a son is because God made a promise in Genesis 17. And what does Abraham, great hero of the faith, do in response to this promise? He falls face down and laughs and says, how can my wife and I, being this old, have a son? In the next chapter, Genesis 18, Sarah overhears a conversation Abraham is having with angels where they remind him, remember what God told you, you go have a son. And what does Sarah, great woman of faith do? She begins to laugh. This is impossible. <laughs> I've begun to think about that in the context of our lives. You know, people laughed at you when you said you were gonna break the generational curse in your family. People laughed at you when you said you was going to get sober. People laughed at you when you said you was going to turn your life around. But the only person laughing now is God. It looked impossible. It seemed improbable. It felt unthinkable. But what was impossible to man was made possible to God. And just look what the Lord has done in and through your life. <laughs> Now watch verse three, the Bible says this. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. And he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place which God had told him. He said to a servant, stay here with the donkey while me and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. 
Now we know from scripture that Abraham was very rich. He had many servants, tons of livestock, a lot of money. Yet in verse 3, the Bible clearly says, he saddled the donkey. He split the wood. He went out looking for the place which God had told him. In 2016, there was a businessman from Seattle who was ordered by the attorney general to pay back nearly $7.8 million to consumers that he had defrauded on a fake website he set up that collected money for prayer requests. This is an actual screenshot from the website before it got taken down. The state investigated him. Do you know what they found out? He wasn't even a minister. He wasn't actually praying for anyone. He was just collecting credit card payments from people who wanted someone else to do their spiritual work for them. Hear me. Abraham had the resource to pay someone else to do the work of sacrifice on his behalf. But he had made up his mind. If this journey of faith with God doesn't cost me something, it probably won't produce anything worthwhile either. I'm going to say something unpopular. Probably I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it anyways. Belonging to a church should cost you something. And if it doesn't, that's a problem. The way some folks lead churches today is by trying to reduce or eliminate any type of cost. Wanting to set the bar so low in hopes of not turning anyone off. <laughs> Sometimes people say to me, well, at my last church... We had a full service Starbucks in the lobby. What do you have, Pursuit? We have electricity, and that's an upgrade from about 12 months ago. Well, at my last church, we had a train that worked its way through the parking lot to pick people up. What do you have, Pursuit? We got street parking, and that's about it. I'm so tired of people treating church like they are an investor during a Shark Tank pitch. What are you going to do for me? What does my return look like? What are my guarantees? How is this product going to benefit my bottom line? Let me be real honest. Belonging to this church may very well cost you a lot more than you ever get out of it. So what are you going to get if you're willing to invest, to serve, to invite, and to help me build? You're going to get a drugged out kid from Seattle who meets Jesus. You're going to get a homeless guy from Everett who gets born again. You're going to get a businessman from Kirkland who gets spirit filled. You're going to get an elementary school that gets started, a marriage that gets saved, a family that gets baptized together. And I would venture to say at the end of your life, that will be well worth every sacrifice you could ever make. Verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And Abraham responds again, Here I am. Then he said, Look, there's fire and there's wood, but, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Do you notice the pattern? Do you see Abraham's response again? 
when Isaac calls out to the father, he says, here I am. You gotta see this today, friend. Your availability to God creates within you availability to others. The same way Abraham responds to the voice of the Lord is the same way now in this setting that Abraham responds to Isaac, his son. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide. He'll give us a lamb for the burnt offering. So two of them went together. See, all Abraham knows is that God has said to sacrifice Isaac. And yet the faith of a father creates peace and stability within a son. For he confidently declares, I know God will provide. I don't know about you, but I can sympathize with Abraham in this story. As a father myself, as a leader of an organization, as the lead pastor of a church, I can't tell you how many times I've had to look in the eyes of people who are scared or worried or stressed out about what the next step will look like, and I don't got the answers. I don't know how the bills are gonna get paid. I don't know how it's gonna work or where the resources are gonna come from, and I've gotta look them in the eyes and use every ounce of faith I have left and say, look, I don't know what it's gonna look like, but I know God will provide. He provided in the past. He'd been faithful before. Why would he not be faithful again? I don't know how it's gonna look. I know I'm not willing to sacrifice the next generation, but I know that I know that I know that the God I serve, he will provide. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. Abraham built an altar. He placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he responded, hear I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy. Don't do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, even your only son from me. Hear me today. Do you want to know if you fear God? Then answer this question. Do you trust him with your promise and your provision? Do you trust him with your future and your finances and your friendships and your fears and your failings? See, the self-righteous person tries to become his own provision by offering God his good works instead of freely receiving God's grace. The self-reliant person tries to become their own provision by hoarding their resources instead of trusting God with their tithe. The self-indulgent person tries to become their own provision by dating below their destiny instead of trusting that God is bringing the right person along. Anything you withhold from God God reveals an area of insecurity and idolatry in your life. Because friend, there ain't one thing Christ will ever ask for that he won't give back in even greater measure if you will just trust him with that which is in your hands. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. 
Abraham went and took the ram and he, and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, watch, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. See, in the last season, Abraham got nervous about God's promise and tried to provide for himself, and he ended up birthing an Ishmael into the earth. Fast forward to this story, and the lesson has been learned. God, I refuse to become my own supply. I refuse to view myself as the source of my own provision. And what does Abraham do? He names the place after the revelation he has received. This mountain will be known as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I would venture to, to say this morning that there are some areas of your life that you need to rename. Not after the trauma you encountered or the abuse that you faced or the abandonment that you felt, but instead in the midst of it, the revelation that you received. David says, when my mother and father abandoned me, you have become my God. When my enemies surrounded me, you have hid me in your pavilion. When I felt like I had nothing left, I said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. One of the greatest tools that you have is the weapon of your words to reframe the circumstances of your life. I refuse to name my season lack. I refuse to name my life divorce. I refuse to name my childhood abuse. I am naming it after the revelation that I received when everybody else ran out, God ran in. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And I love this. The Bible says when Abraham lifted up his eyes, I think the temptation of life is we get so focused on the task in front of us we forget to lift up our eyes to see the resource around us. I am convinced that there's rams in the thicket all across this region. I am convinced that there's rams in the thicket all over the narrative of your life. And the temptation is we get tunnel focused on the problem that is in front of us instead of the God who's answered every problem, who is working all things together for the good of those who love him. When the disciples lifted up their eyes, they saw that the fields were ripe unto harvest. When Isaiah lifted up his eyes, he saw cherubim and seraphim that were flying back and forth. When the blind man lifted up his eyes, he saw men walking like trees. When you lift up your eyes to the hills for whence your help comes from, your help comes from the Lord, you discover that the God who started my journey and will be faithful to end my journey has hidden resource every step of my life because my God will supply everything I'm in need of according to his riches and glory. God will never call you to it if he is unwilling to put his resource behind it. 
God, I'm willing to give back to you what you've entrusted to me. But I'm gonna lift up my eyes because I'm convinced that there's a ram caught in the thicket just waiting for a man or a woman of God to respond to him like this. Here I am. Come on, would you stand as we close this morning? God is an expert at taking what you give him, pressing it down, shaking it together, and then causing it to overflow in the next season of your life. What God gives you on this side of heaven, it's on loan. You're a steward. You're not an owner. You're a manager of that which God has entrusted to you. And I know that as things get bigger and futures get brighter and finances get more abundant, sometimes what wages war in our soul is that willingness to freely give back to Him what He's given to us. But hear me, friend, God can't give you more of what you're not willing to first give away. And if you will trust God with the dreams he's put in your heart. If you will trust God with the relationships you find yourself in. If you will trust God with the resource that he has abundantly poured out in your life. I am telling you, you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living unlike anything you have ever seen before. The testing of God is the adventure of God. It is not trying to produce our faith, it's trying to reveal our faith. And I'm here to tell you today that I am convinced that this faith lives in inside of you, regardless of what your past season has looked like, God's got brighter, bigger, and better headed in your direction. And if you would trust him today, just watch what this God will do. Still today, he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Let me pray for you today. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you for my friends all across this room, those who are watching on the live stream from across the nation. God, I pray now that by your spirit, you would do something of significance in our hearts and in our minds. That in doing so, we would leave this place one step further in our ongoing transformation and development into your image and likeness. God, today, I pray that we would trust you with the promises we hold in our hands. That we would trust you with the past, present, and future things of our life. That we would withhold nothing from you, trusting that we have a God in heaven who withholds no good thing from us. And God today, in the midst of a lot of things that we don't understand, and in a lot of scenarios of life where we don't know exactly how they're gonna be resolved, we respond to you like Abraham did in Genesis 22. Here I am. God, we're willing to follow you wherever you may lead. And God, today we pray that with your Spirit's help, we would be everything that you know us to be. And in doing so, we would do everything that you have created us to do. 
We pray these things now in the mighty name of Jesus. All God's people said amen and amen. Friend, if you're here today and you need prayer, you're not right with God, but you wanna be, you need a miracle in your life, you know that you need to take a, another step in trusting God with that which is in your hand. At the conclusion of this service, we're gonna invite you forward for prayer. I'd love to add my faith to yours to see God do something special in your life. Hey, if not, God bless. Thanks so much for joining us for church. We're gonna be back at it tonight. Pastor Sean Smith in Seattle, 6 p.m. I promise you do not wanna miss it. I'll see you there. If you need prayer, come forward now. Let's pray together. God bless, we'll see you real soon.